Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, and you're listening to Sleepy. A podcast where I read old books to help you get to sleep and a proud member of the Airwave Podcast Network. Well, Merry Christmas to you. I'm currently recording this um, in my home in Belmont, Vermont. There's snow outside the window. Feeling the Christmas spirit and about to go decorate the tree with my family. Very excited about that. And I hope that you are having a lovely Christmas as well. I've got a lovely uh, Christmas reading for you tonight. And before we get to the reading, I just want to profoundly, profoundly thank all of our brand new patrons on Patreon.com, which is a website where you can go and pledge a couple bucks for an ad-free version of the show. So, this week's wonderful new patrons, Sean Troy, Barbara Romick, Tina Cunningham, Count Scotula, Melody Grace, Sarah Carlag, Jessica Hadash, and also a um, big thank you to Joanna Kilburn, uh, who is a patron, and I mispronounced their name, and uh, just wanted to say sorry about that, and thank you so much, Joanna. really appreciate you being a patron. I appreciate you all. Thank you so much. Um, if you're listening and you don't know these names, they are new patrons on patreon.com where you can go and support the sleepy podcast and get perks for doing it. And I would also ask as, um, a special Christmas, uh, thing, if you were considering, uh, giving to sleepy's Patreon page, I would like to, um, actually direct you more to a fundraiser that I'm doing, um, for doctors without borders. And uh, basically on New Year's Day in Brooklyn, New York, Coney Island specifically, I will be doing the Coney Island Polar Plunge, which is where a bunch of crazy people go and jump in the water, Coney Island, into the surf, into the cold. Um, It's apparently a wild extravaganza that I've been wanting to do for a long time, and I am officially doing it this year. And while I'm doing that, I also have a pledge drive going um, for the dive. And uh, I'm raising money for Doctors Without Borders. All the profits go directly to them. So um, I will have a link in the description of this show for how you can give to that pledge drive um, instead of giving to the Patreon this week. And uh, I greatly appreciate it. And you can see the dive uh, when I do it on the Sleepy Instagram, which is at Sleepy underscore podcast. Anyways, I'm very excited to be jumping into the cold ocean on New Year's Day 
setting the tone right for 2024 and for um, being able to raise money for Doctors Without Borders. So again, if you were going to give to the show, um, just instead consider giving it to Doctors Without Borders. Link in the details of the show. Thank you. And as always, the music you're hearing is by my good friend James Lepkowski, and the cover art for Sleepy is by Gracie Kanan. So, Merry Christmas. Christmas 2023 feels good. It's been a really big year, and uh, I'm feeling very peaceful right now, and very happy to be home in the woods with family. So much to be grateful for. Truly, it's gross. <laughs> the feelings of gratitude that I've had this year. So I hope you're feeling them too, even amidst the chaos. And tonight, for Christmas, I'm going to be reading a story from a author we've never read on the show, Leona Dalrymple. Uh, amazing name. The story tonight is called When the Yule Log Burns. It's really kind of old school country Christmas. Beautiful writing. Extremely Christmassy. A really perfect reading for tonight. It was a pleasure to read. And I hope it is a pleasure for you to fall asleep to. So, thank you listening. I'm so grateful for you. Truly. I really hope you have a nice holiday. Without further ado, When the Yule Log Burns by Leona Dalrymple. And now is the time for you to fluff up your pillow just how you like it. Feel yourself melt into your bed. Get real comfortable. Close your eyes. And let me read to you. Chapter 1. Kindlings Polly, the doctor's old white mare, plodded slowly along the snowy country road by the picket fence and turned in at the snow-capped posts. Ahead, roofed with the ragged ermine of a newly fallen snow, the doctor's old-fashioned house loomed gray-white through the snow-fringed branches of the trees. A quaint iron lantern which was picturesque by day and luminous and cheerful by night, hanging within the square, white-pillared portico at the side. That the many-paned, old-fashioned window on the right framed of the snow-white head of Aunt Ellen Leslie, the doctor's wife, the old doctor himself was comfortably aware, for his kindly eyes missed nothing. He could have told you with a reflective stroke of his grizzled beard that the snow had stopped but an hour since, and that now through the white and heavy lacery of branches to the west glowed the flame gold of the winter sunset, glinting ruddily over the box-bordered brick walk, the orchard and the comfortable barn which snugly housed his huddled cattle, that the grasslands to the south were thickly blanketed in white, 
that beyond in the evergreen forest the stately pines and cedars were marvelously draped and coughed in snow. For the old doctor loved these things of nature as he loved the peace and quiet of his home. So, as he turned in at the driveway and briskly resigned the care of Polly to old Asher, his seamed and wrinkled helper, the doctor's eyes were roving now to a corner, snug beneath a tattered rug of snow, where by summer Aunt Ellen's petunias and flocks and larkspur grew, and now to the rose bushes ridged and down, and at last to his favorite winter nook, a thicket of black alders freighted with a wealth of berries. How crimson they were amid the white quiet of the garden, and the brightly colored fruit of the barberry flamed forth from a snowy bush like the cheerful elf lamps of a wood gnome. There was equal cheer and color in the old-fashioned sitting room to which the doctor presently made his way, for a wood fire roared with a winter gleam and crackle in the fireplace, and Aunt Ellen Leslie rocked slowly back and forth by the window with a letter in her hand. Another letter exclaimed the doctor, warming his hands before the blazing log. God bless my soul, Alan. We're becoming a nuisance to Uncle Sam. But for all the brisk cheeriness of his voice, he was furtively aware that Aunt Ellen's brown eyes were a little tearful, and presently crossing the room to her side, he gently drew the crumpled letter from her hand and read it. So John's not coming home for Christmas either, eh? He said at last. Well, now, that is too bad. Now, 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 mother, as Aunt Ellen surreptitiously wiped her glasses. We should feel proud to have such busy children. There's Ellen and Margaret, and Anne with a horde of youngsters to make a Christmas for. And John, bless your heart, Ellen, there is a busy man. A broker now is one of the very busiest of men. And what with John's kiddies and his beautiful society wife and that grand Christmas Eve ball he mentions, why? The doctor cleared his throat. Why, dear me, it's not to be wondered at, say I. And Philip and Howard, busy as, as, as architects and lawyers usually are at Christmas, he finished lamely. As for Ralph, the doctor looked away. Well, Ralph hasn't spent a Christmas home since college days. It will be the first Christmas we ever spent without some of them home, ventured on Ellen, biting her lip courageously, whereupon the old doctor patted her shoulder gently with a cheery word of advice. Now, there was something in the touch of the old doctor's broad and gentle hand that always soothed wherefore Aunt Ellen presently wiped her troublesome glasses again and bravely tried to smile. And the doctor, making a vast and altogether cheerful to-do about turning the blazing log, began a brisk description of his day. It had ended professionally at a lonely little house in the heart of the forest, which Jarvis Hildreth, dying but a scant year since, had bequeathed to his orphan children Madge and Roger. And Ellen finished the doctor soberly. There he sits by the window, day by day. Poor lame little lad. 
staring away so wistfully at the forest. And Madge, bless her brave young heart, she bastes and stitches and sews away, all the while weaving him wonderful yarns about the pines and cedars to amuse him, all out of her pretty head, mind you. A lame brother and a passion for books, said the doctor, shaking his head, a poor inheritance for the last. They worry me not, Ellen, for Madge looks thin and tired, and today, the doctor cleared his throat. I think she had been crying. Crying, exclaimed Don Ellen, her kindly brown eyes warm with sympathy. Dear, dear, and Christmas only three days off. Why, John, dear, we must have them over here for Christmas. To be sure, and we'll have a tree for little Roger and a Christmas masquerade and such a wonderful Christmas altogether as he's never known before. And Aunt Ellen, with the all-embracing motherhood of her gentle heart aroused, fell to planning a Christmas for Madge and Roger Hildreth that would have gladdened the heart of the Christmas saint himself. Face aglow, the old doctor bent and patted his wife's wrinkled hand. Why, Ellen, he confessed warmly, it's the thing I most desire. Dear me, it's a very strange thing indeed, my dear, how often we seem to agree. I'll hitch old Billy to the sleigh and go straight after them now, while Annie's getting supper. And at that instant, one glance at Aunt Ellen Leslie's fine old face, framed in the winter firelight which grew brighter as the checkerboard window beside her slowly purpled would have revealed to the various Tyro why the doctor patients like best to call her Aunt Ellen. So, with a violent jingle of sleigh bells, the doctor presently shot forth again into the white and quiet world. And as he went, gliding swiftly past the ghostly spruces by the roadside, oddly enough, despite his cheerful justification to Aunt Ellen, he was fiercely rebelling at the defection of his children. John and his lovely wife might well have foregone their fashionable ball, and Howard and Philip, their holiday-keeping metropolitan clubs were shallow artificialities, surely compared with the home-keeping reunion about the Eula. As for the children of Anne and Ellen and Margaret, well, the doctor could just tell those daughters of his that their precious youngsters liked a country Christmas best. He knew they did. Not the complex, steam-heated hothouse offshoe of that rugged flower of simpler times when homes were further apart, but a country Christmas of keen, crisp cold and merry sleigh bells, of rosy cheeks and snowballs, of skating on the deacon's pond in a jubilant hour after around the blazing wood fire. A Christmas, in short, such as the old doctor himself knew and loved, of simplicity and sympathy and home-keeping hardiness. And then there was Ralph. But here the doctor's face grew very stern. Wild tales came to him at times of this youngest and most gifted of his children. Tales of intemperate living interlarded with occasional tales of brilliant surgical achievement on the staff of St. Michael's. 
for the old doctor had guided the steps of his youngest son to the paths of medicine with great hope, long abandoned. Ah, well, the doctor sighed, abruptly turning his thoughts to Madge and Roger. They at least should know the hard glow of a real Christmas. A masquerade party of his neighbor's Christmas Eve, perhaps, such as Aunt Ellen had suggested, and a Yule log. But now it was in the midst of his Christmas plans that a daring notion flashed temptingly through the doctor's head, was banished with a shrug and flashed again, whereupon with his splendid capacity for prompt decision, the doctor suddenly wheeled old Billy about and went slaying in considerable excitement into the village, whence a host of night telegrams went singing over the busy wires to startle eventually a slumbering conscience or so. And presently, when the doctor drew up with a flourish before the lonely little house among the forest pines, his earlier depression had vanished. So with a prodigious stamping of snow from his feet and a cheerful wave of his mittened hand to the boy by the window, the doctor bustled cheerily indoors and with kindly eyes averted from the single telltale saucepan upon the fire, over which Madge Hildreth had bent with sudden color fell to bustling about with a queer lump in his throat and talking ambiguously about Ellen's Christmas orders, painfully conscious that the girl's dark face had grown pitifully white and tense and that Roger's wan little face was glowing. And when the fire was damped by the doctor himself and his Christmas guests huddled into dazed, protesting readiness, the doctor deftly muffled the thin little fellow in blankets and gently carried him out to the waiting sleigh with arms that were splendid and sturdy and wonderfully reassuring. There, there, little man, he said cheerfully. We've not hurt the poor lame light once, I reckon. And now we'll just help Sister Madge blow out the lamp and lock the door and be off to Aunt Helen. But strangely enough, the doctor halted abruptly in the doorway and turned his kindly eyes away to the shadowy pines. And Sister Madge, on her knees by Roger's bed, sobbing and praying in agony of relief, presently blew out the lamp herself and wiped her eyes. For nights among the whispering pines are sleepless and long when work is scarce and Christmas hovers with cold, forbidding eyes over the restless couch of a dear and crippled brother. Chapter Two Wishing Sparks Round the doctor's house frolicked the brisk, cold wind of a Christmas Eve, boisterously rattling the luminous checkerboard windows and the Christmas wreaths, tormenting the cheerful flame in the old iron lantern and whisking away the snow from the shivering elms, whistling eerily down the doctor's chimney to startle a strange little cripple by the doctor's fire, who, queerly enough, would not be startled. For to Roger, there had never been a wind so Christmassy or a fire so bright and warm, and his solemn black eyes glowed. Never a wealth of holly and barberry and elderberry so crimson as that which rimmed the snug old house in Christmas flame. Never such evergreen wreaths, for, 
tucked up here in this very chair by Aunt Ellen. He had made them all himself, of boughs from the evergreen forest. And never surely such enticing odors as had floated out for the last two days, from old Annie's pots and pans as she baked and roasted and boiled and stewed in endless preparation for Christmas Day and the Christmas Eve party, scolding away betimes in indignant whispers at old Asher, who, by reason of a chuckling air of mystery, was in perpetual disgrace. Wonderful days indeed for Roger, with Sister Madge's smooth, pale cheeks catching the flaring scarlet of the holly, and Sister Madge's slim and willing fingers so busy hanging boughs that she had forgotten to sigh. With motherly Aunt Ellen so warmly intent upon Roger's comfort and plans for the masquerade, and many a mysterious and significant occurrence slipped safely by her kindly eyes. And with the excited doctor's busy sleigh jingling so hysterically about on secret errands, and his kindly face so full of boyish mystery, that Roger, with the key to all this Christmas intrigue locked safely in his heart, had whispered a shy little warning in the culprit's attentive ear. And presently, Roger caught his breath and furtively eyed the grandfather clock, ticking boastfully through a welter of holly. And presently, Roger caught his breath and furtively eyed the grandfather's clock, ticking boastfully through a welter of holly. Presently, it would be time for the doctor's masquerade, and later, when the clock struck twelve and the guest unmasked, that great surprise which the doctor had planned so carefully by telegram. But now from the kitchen came the sound of the doctor's singing. Come, bring with a noise, my merry, merry boys, the Christmas log to the firing. Roger clapped his thin little hands with a cry of delight, for old Asher and the doctor were bringing in the Yule log to light it presently with the charred remains of the Christmas log of a year ago. Tomorrow, another Yule log would crackle and blaze and shower on the hearth, for the old doctor molded a custom to suit his fancy. And here was Annie, splendidly aproned and white, following them in, and Aunt Ellen in a wonderful old brown-gold brocade, disinterred from the doctor's party from a lavender sweet cedar chest in the garret. And Sister Match, Roger stared, radiant in old-fashioned crimson satin and holly, colorful foils indeed for her night-black hair and eyes. As for the doctor himself, Roger now began to realize that, with his powdered wig, his satin breeches and gaily flowered waistcoat, to say nothing of silken hose and silver buckles, he was by far the most gorgeous figure of them all. I said the doctor presently, striking the burning yew log until the golden sparks flew out. I charge thee, log, to burn out old wrongs and heart burnings. And then, in accordance with the cherished custom of his father's, he followed the words with a wish for the good of his household. And I, said old Asher as he struck the law, I wish for the good of the horses and cows and all the other live things, and, with a terrific chuckle of mystery, I wish for things aplenty this night 
And I, said old Annie, with a terrible look at her imprudent spouse as she took the poker. I wish for the harvest, and wit for them that lack it. But Roger had the poker now, his black eyes starry. I wish for more kind hearts like Aunt Ellen's and the doctor's, he burst forth with a strangled sob as the sparks showered gold. For more, more sisters like Sister Madge, his voice quivered and broke. And for, for all the boys who cannot walk and run. But Sister Madge's arm was already around his shoulders and the old doctor was patting his arm, wherefore he smiled bravely up at them through glistening tears. Now, 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 little lad, reminded the doctor, it's Christmas Eve, whereupon he drew a chair to the fire and began a wonderful Christmas tale about St. Boniface and Thunder Oak and the first Christmas tree. A wonderful old doctor, this, reflected Roger wonderingly. He knew so many different things, had to scare away tears and all about mistletoe and druids and still another story about a fir tree, which Roger opined respectfully was nothing like so good as Sister Madge's story of the Cedar King who stood outside his window. Very likely not, admitted the doctor gravely. I have nothing like the respect for Mr. Hans Anderson myself that I have for Sister Madge. I thought, ventured Roger shyly, slipping his hand suddenly into the doctor's, that doctors only knew how to cure folks. Bless your heart, laddie, exclaimed the doctor, considerably staggered. They know too little of that, I fear. My conscience. As the grandfather clock came into the conversation with a throaty boom, it's half past seven. And from then on, Roger noticed the doctor was uneasy presently opining with a prodigious hum that Aunt Ellen looked mighty pale and tired and that he for one calculated a little sleigh ride would brace her up for the party. This Aunt Ellen immediately flouted and the doctor was eventually forced to pathetic and frequent reference to his own great need of air. Very well, my dear, said Aunt Ellen mildly striving politely to conceal her opinion of his mental health. I'll go, since you feel so strongly about it. But a sleigh ride in such a wind and such clothes when one is expecting party guests. But the relieved doctor was already bundling the brown gold brocade into a fur-lined coat and furtively winking at Roger. Thus it was that even as the doctor's sleigh flew merrily by the deacon's pond, Far across the snowy fields to the north gleamed the lights of the 752, rushing noisily into the village. Chapter 3 By the Fire How it was that the old doctor somehow lost his way on roads he had traveled since boyhood was a matter of exceeding mystery and annoyance to Aunt Ellen, but lose it he did. By the time he found it and jogged frantically back home, the old house was already a swarm with masked, mysterious guests, and old Asher with a lantern was peering excitedly up the road. Holly trimmed sleighs full of merry neighbors in disguise, 
that were dashing gaily up, and in the midst of all the excitement, the doctor miraculously discovered his own mask and Aunt Ellen's in the pocket of his great coat. So hospitable Aunt Ellen, considerably perturbed that so many of her guests had arrived in her absence, an absence carefully planned by the doctor, betook herself to the masquerade, and the Christmas party began with bandits and minstrels and jesters and all sorts of queer folk fitting gaily about the house. They paid gallant court to Roger in his great chair by the fire and presently began to present for his approval an impromptu mummer's play. And now the lights were all out and a masked and courtly old gentleman in satin breeches was standing in the bright firelight pouring brandy into a giant bowl of raisins. And now he was gallantly bowing to Roger himself who was plainly expected to assist with a lighted match. He did this with trembling fingers and eyes so big and black and eloquent that the doctor cleared his throat. And as the leaping flames from the snapdragon bowl flashed weirdly over the bizarre company in the shadows, Roger, eagerly watching them snatch the raisins from the fire, fell to trembling in an ecstasy of delight. Presently a slender arm in a crimson sleeve, whose wearer was never very far from Roger's chair, slipped quietly about his shoulders and held him very tight. So, an endless round of merry Christmas games until, deep and mellow came at last, the majestic boom of the grandfather's clock striking twelve, and with it, a hearty babble of Christmas greetings as the doctor, smiling significantly down into Roger's excited eyes, gave the signal to unmask. By the fire, a mysterious little knot of guests had been silently gathering, and now as Aunt Ellen Leslie removed her mask, hand and mask halted in midair as if fixed by the stare of Medusa, and the face above the brown-gold brocade flamed crimson. For here in Puritan garb was John Leslie Jr. and his radiant wife and Philip and Howard, smiling Quakers, and Anne and Margaret and Ellen with a trio of husbands, and beyond a laughing gesture in cap and bells, whose dark, handsome face was a little too reckless and tired about the eyes. Roger thought, for a really happy Christmas guest, young Dr. Ralph. As Aunt Ellen's startled eyes swept slowly from the smiling faces of her children to the proud and chuckling doctor who had spent heaven knows how many dollars in telegraphed commands, she laughed a little and cried a little when mingled the two so queerly that she needs must wipe her eyes and catch at Roger's chair for support, whereupon a kindly little hand slipped suddenly into hers and Roger looked up and smiled serenely. Don't cry, Aunt Ellen, he begged shyly. I knew all about it too, and the doctor. He did it all. And Mary Fitz, he gave us all by telegram too, Mother, exclaimed Philip with a grin. Moreover, broke in John, patting his mother's shoulder, there are eleven kids packed away upstairs like sardines. We hid them away while Dad and you were lost, and... But here with a deafening racket, 
The stairs door burst wide open, and with a swoop and a scream, eleven pajamaed young bandits with starry eyes bore down upon Aunt Ellen and the doctor. Great Scott, exclaimed John, thoroughly scandalized. You disgraceful kids. Which one of you stirred this up? But the guilty face at the tail of the romping procession was the face of old Asher. Radiantly triumphant, the old doctor swung little John Leslie third onto his shoulder and faced his laughing family as old Annie appeared with a steaming tray. He seized a mug of cider and held it high aloft. To the ruddy warmth of the Christmas log and the Christmas home spirit, he cried, to the home-keeping hearts of the countryside. Gentlemen, I give you a country home and a country Christmas. May more good folk come to know them. And little John Leslie cried hoarsely, Hooray, Grandpa. Hooray for a country Christmas. Carelessly alive to the merry spirit of the night, the jester presently adjusted a flu which hung from his shoulders by a scarlet cord, and lazily piping a Christmas air, wandered to another room to come suddenly upon a forgotten playmate of his boyhood days. It can't be, he reflected in startled interest. It surely can't be Madge Hildreth. But Madge Hildreth it surely was, spreading the satin folds of his grandmother's crimson gown in mocking courtesy. Moreover, it was not the awkward, ragged, elfish little gypsy who had tormented his debonair boyhood with her shy, ardent worship of himself and daring exploits, but instead of a winsome vision of Christmas color and Christmas cheer, holly red of the cheek, with flashes of scarlet holly in her night-black hair, and eyes whose unfathomable dusk reflected no single hint of that old, wild worship slumbering still in the girl's rebellious heart. And the symbolism of this stunning makeup, queried Ralph after a while, lazily admiring. The girl's eyes flashed. Tonight, if you please, she said, I am the spirit of the old-fashioned Christmas who dwells in the holly heart of the evergreen wood. A country Christmas, ruddy-cheeked and cheerful, and rugged like winter holly, simple and old-fashioned, and hollowed with memories like this bright, soft crimson gown. Well, she had been a queer, fanciful youngster, too. Dr. Ralph remembered, always passionately a-quiver with a wild sylvan poetry and over-fond of book-lore like her father. Mischievously glancing at a spray of mistletoe above the girl's dark head, he stepped forward with the careless gallantry that had won him many a kindly glance from pretty eyes and was strangely to fail him now. For at the look in Madge's calm eyes, he drew back, stammering. I, I beg your pardon, said Dr. Ralph. Later as he stood thoughtfully by his bedroom window, staring queerly at the wind-beaten elms, he found himself repeating Madge Hildreth's words. Ruddy-cheeked and rugged and cheerful. Indeed, this unforgettable Christmas Eve. Yes, 
she was right. Had he not often heard his father say that the Christmas season epitomized all the rugged sympathy and hardiness and health of the country year? Tonight, the blazing Yule log, his mother's face, how white her hair was growing, thought Dr. Ralph with a sudden tightening of his throat. All of these memories had strummed forgotten and finer chords. Darkly foiling the homely brightness came the picture of rushing, overstrung, bundle-laden city crowds, of shop girls white and wary, of store heaps of cedar and holly sapped by electric glare. Rush and strain and worry, yes, and a spirit of grudging. How unlike the Christmas peace of this white, wind whirled outside his window. So Dr. Ralph went to bed with a sigh and a shrug, to listen while the sleety boughs tapping at his windows roused ghostly phantoms of his boyhood. Falling asleep, he dreamt that pretty Madge Hildra had lightly waved a Christmas wand of crimson above his head and dispelled his wariness and discontent. Thank you for listening to Sleepy. Merry Christmas. Good night.